0: Welcome to another edition of the Roll Bama Roll podcast. I'm Wesley Gullett. As always, I'll be joined by Brad Canning. Brad, it's the beginning of August, which means we're around halfway through the 2020 recruiting cycle with the early signing period being in December, the final signing period in February. So we want to take a look through the SEC and nationally and see where things stand in recruiting. There's a lot of stories at this point with some traditional recruiting powers who are kind of in uncharted waters with how bad their classes are and maybe some names we aren't used to seeing who seem to be surging right now. But before we get into that, we do want to touch on the departure of now-former Alabama outside linebacker Ayabi Anoma and I'm curious to see how you feel about this if you remember he entered his name in the transfer portal in February and pulled it out the next day now fast forward six months here we are again
1: oh yeah no and there was an issue after the Arkansas game last year too where he was thinking about leaving the team and uh, he met with coach Saban and he came back to practice that week so I mean this has been a long time coming to to be honest with you, there was uh, there was some things medical wise they were trying to get worked out. And then there was an incident that happened. So uh, it just unfortunately it could never work out for both parties. And, and at the end of the day, you know, it was felt best to kind of go in each other's different directions. And. It, it does open up a spot, and it was setting up to where, I mean, the dude's talent, his ceiling was so damn high, and, mm-hmm. uh, it, you know, it was setting up to where he was going to be able to get some serious playing time this season at a position where we need that, and, you know, unfortunately, it just, it wasn't going to happen in Alabama, and Yabi came to an agreement, and I'll tell you, I'd, I'd rather have this happen now than leading up to, say, I don't know, the road game at night at Texas A&M. Uh, it, it hurts, but at the same time, it, you know we do have some talent, and it opens up a spot for uh, another big-name player coming this December.
0: Yeah, my thoughts on Ayabi Anoma's ability are pretty well documented on this show, honestly. Uh, he's an elite prospect. There's a reason he was a top-five player in the nation coming out of high school. As far as natural ability, he's right in line with some of the, the top outside linebacker linebacker or defensive end prospects of the last decade really like as prospects I think you know guys like Jadavion Clowney and maybe Miles Garrett they they were in a league of their own but then you have that next tier with guys like Kayvon Thibodeau that we talked about from the last cycle and Ayabi Anoma and, and Nick Bosa and like Jalen Phillips who has had some issues as well but those guys from a from a team chemistry or locker room perspective We don't know everything that goes on. Maybe this isn't that big of a loss, but from an overall talent standpoint, it is. This is a guy who is as naturally gifted as almost anyone on the roster.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, thank God we were able to get Antonio Alfano, his charger, uh, you know, and get him (laughs) on campus last year. But I mean, man, I I could, it would have been just pure sex having guys like that all out on the field at, at one time, you know, and Look, I wish them all the best. I mean, honestly, he, all accounts, he's a really, really good kid. It's just, uh, it, it, it was very tough, and we'll see where he ends up. Maybe uh, maybe Coach, Lock, uh, Coach Loxley's already on the prowl. I don't know. Yeah.
0: I do have an Ayabi Noma story. Okay. Uh, have I told you this? I can't remember. The national championship? Uh,
1: you're asking me and my memory? <laughs> okay. okay.
0: <laughs> I do say this with the acknowledgement that I do not know the full story. I can only tell you what I saw. So anyone listening can can take it however you choose to take it. But I was at the national championship in January. I sat in the first row on the 50-yard line directly behind Alabama's bench. So I'm I'm literally 10-15 feet away from the players. In the second half when it was becoming pretty apparent there was there was no coming back for Alabama. I can't remember who called the timeout or if it was a TV timeout. But the players came to the sideline, and there were several different huddles. Well, All of a sudden, I see someone walking off kind of on their own, uh, away from any of the huddles, and it was Yabi and Noma. Brad, it's really hard to put this into words, like kind of what I saw, but he was having a total meltdown. It it basically looked like he was going on a tirade right on the sideline. So even when the huddles broke, he was still kind of doing circles, and he was in his own world kind of yelling to himself. So, like, if you go back to the Georgia National Championship, do you remember how Makai Brown was on the sideline? I mean, he kind of – he tried to fight the staffer. Yeah. Yeah, Yabi Anoma, he kind of – it was almost like a mimic of that, but without actually directly going at someone, if that makes sense. So that's how emotional he was. To the point, I can't believe that a camera didn't catch it on the broadcast.
1: Yeah, you... no, I mean, that's that's a very good point. Yeah. Um and it, it happened a lot. I mean, sometimes it was not during the game. But, I mean, there's there's a lot of accounts. I mean, it, it's just – it sucks because, I mean, again, the kid – He's got a lot of talent, he's a great kid, and it's just unfortunately they could not get things tweaked uh, for what he needed to be able to help. And uh, I know Sal Sinceri took him under his wing, you know, the moment he came back. And, you know, I, I'm sure Sal's hurting a little bit because, you know, he's a very caring coach. He's a great coach and he saw this kid and you know he tried to do what he could and, and then what happened happened and uh, here we are and unfortunately uh, I think this is the best for each one of us and you know we'll see we wish him the best and hopefully uh, hopefully he can get some things straightened out
0: yeah uh, another thing that stood out to me was that everyone ignored him like there were coaches and players walking past him or coming within a foot or two and they never even acknowledged him while this was going on so to me it looked like maybe they were so used to it that they, they just weren't playing into it at that point, or that maybe they didn't have time to deal with it. It was during, obviously, a, a game of that magnitude. I don't know. But it was just a, a really, really odd thing to see.
1: Yeah, no, but, for sure.
0: Yeah, regardless, we do obviously, we hope he ends up in a good situation, like you said, possibly with Mike Loxley, and he reaches his full potential because if he does, there's a lot of NFL money waiting on him.
1: If he can get his mind straight and they can get everything figured out, all all he's got to do is play even at 75%. and No matter where he's at, he's going to get a chance.
0: Yeah. All right, we're going to pause for a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back to talk the 2020 recruiting class. All right, Brad, we're at the halfway point of the 2020 recruiting cycle. and Can we just start off with the unexplainably awful class in the nation?
1: Please tell me. I, I have a <laughs> feeling it. Why do I feel like this is going to go to Michigan?
0: It's it not, Actually, it's not. You know, I, I like to bag on Michigan, but I can't. I think uh, Michigan's sitting at, off the top of my head, I think seventh. So
1: Okay. Well, not, it won't be uh, not it bad. Won't be Tennessee this year again either. So
0: <laughs> Well, I, we will get to Tennessee in a minute. Oh, okay. We will right. get to Tennessee in a second. The most embarrassing class in the entire nation goes to the USC Trojans. And there was a time, Brad, when it was a foregone conclusion that the Trojans would land the top class in the Pac-12 even after the Pete Carroll years. So um, imagine if I told you this in 2004 and what your reaction would be. Clay Helton and USC currently sit at 7th in the Pac-12. They have the 66th ranked recruiting class in the country.
1: 66. uh, Let's let's hope they... uh... They close strong, but look, it's embarrassing. You know, I've said it before. I think last December is early signing day was wrapping up. I mean, there should never be a world that exists where a coach can't walk into a high school recruits living room with the USC logo on them and not already have an advantage over anyone else. Yep. And unfortunately, that's the state of the program this decade and where it's at. And it's not going to be getting any better this year.
0: Here are some classes ranked ahead of USC's right now. Miami, Ohio. Western Michigan, North Texas, East Carolina, Louisiana Tech, and Tulane.
1: It's like baseball. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Here's another funny detail. There are only nine Power Five schools with a lower-ranked class than USC, and five of them are in the Pac-12. Mm.
1: I want to know where Ole Miss is in relation, because of <laughs> that tells you all you need to know.
0: Hey, Ole Miss is actually uh, – their class is kind of quantity but ranked in quantity right now because they have a lot of commitments. So they're they're ranked in the top twenty, but they're gonna get passed by a lot of teams when they catch up numbers wise. Here's a, here's just a I want to spend a second on this because this is mind blowing to me that this is actually this is USC's reality. Here's a quick breakdown of, of how bad their class is and then we'll move on. They have nine commitments so quantity plays a factor at this stage. But the problem is not all of those nine are quality prospects either. 24-7 sports has about the top 1,000 prospects ranked in order. Five of their nine commitments are not in the top 1,000.
1: That's just I – don't, I don't even know what sport we're talking about anymore.
0: <laughs> their sixth and seventh commitments are ranked eight sixteenth. 16th, and 702nd in the country, which means they have two total commitments ranked inside the top 700. One of those is a four-star wide receiver right inside the top 300, and their top commitment is of a lot of interest to Alabama. Quarterback Bryce Young. Oh, who, yeah. Yeah, the number one dual-threat quarterback in the country. Mm-hmm. He's a guy Alabama's trying to flip. As of now, he is the only quarterback they're even recruiting. So Nick Saban is all in on Bryce Young. He is the silver lining in a, a pretty putrid class for USC, it's looking more and more likely every day he could end up in Alabama's class, and if that were to happen soon, USC would drop to the 83rd ranked class in the nation.
1: That's, that's just incredible. I mean, we, we focus on the attendance aspect of college football and, you know, what can we do to get that better that, you know, the game needs attendance numbers back up. No, what the game needs is the true blue bloods of college football back. I mean, you think about Nebraska's, you think about USC's, Miami's, you know, all these teams of old and how long it's been. It's unreal to see what they were and what they are and continue to be. I never in my life – I mean, that'd be – a USC on the level they were at in the early 2000s is the esteem that Alabama has had this decade too. I mean, it's just yeah. – it's been one hell of a damn turnaround. And- I
0: remember I I remember coming home, I can't remember who Alabama was playing. I was I was driving home. They had just lost to like Mississippi State or somebody like that and we stopped in Birmingham to eat afterwards and USC had just got uh, upset by I can I, I can't remember who it was, Oregon State or Washington somebody. Somebody that was not supposed to beat them, beat them and it was just such a major story, and everybody rushed the field, and it, it was just like this unbelievable scene of we can't, we can't believe that USC just lost. And I remember thinking, I wish Alabama was like that. I wish that every time that Alabama lost, it was that big of a deal. Yeah. And here we are.
1: <laughs> yep. Yeah. yeah, I think that was when they were going on, uh, they were 20-some-odd wins straight. Mm-hmm. When that happened, yeah, yeah, it's it's unreal. But I mean, look, you give it enough time, uh, nature's gonna have its way, and they'll find their way back. But I, I didn't understand the Clay Helton hire from the beginning, and yeah, I, I really don't. I really don't think. Uh, if they want to put all their chips in the bag to Urban Meyer, that's fine. I don't see that happening. The only thing I think he'll ever consider is Notre Dame. But I just have this feeling with the whole athletic director uh, issue they've had there and the president of the university issue, I still feel like when they fire Clay Helton this year, because I'll go ahead and just say it's barring a miracle of, god it's gonna happen
0: yeah he's, uh, out. he's gone
1: i, I just I, I have this weird feeling they're gonna keep going back to this Pete carroll tree and they're gonna keep doing what happened after tom osborne left nebraska you know it's just i don't know we'll see it, they're probably gonna be their own worst enemy and i mean look it's gonna only benefit alabama right now
0: yeah you'd think that they would have their pick of almost almost whoever they wanted I mean, if, I, if I'm a coach, if I'm one of the better coaches in the country and USC comes calling, that's like golden opportunity.
1: Yeah, I mean, you get that brand and you can be that coach to get that brand back. Mm-hmm. I mean, that alone is going to give you every bit of 10 years of resume right there. So I also feel um, like if you,
0: if you can't win at USC, you cannot win anywhere. With how bad yeah. that conference is and just the monopoly that you can have almost on that entire side of the map.
1: Yeah, and no, there's no other competition in football in the state. Yeah. I mean, UCLA hasn't had a damn decent season. And I, I mean, my God, how long back we got to go? I mean, it's, you know, it's been a minute. And with USC, I mean, there should be no excuse. They literally, the kids they're recruiting now, they don't, just like Miami recruiting kids off of their rings, Nebraska from the ninth. They don't know these teams the way we know them. Mm-hmm. And that's the most mind-blowing thing to consider. That'd be like kids getting recruited by Alabama in 20 years from now. They don't know what we are right now. That'd be, that'd be how that's viewed. It would be just a hell of a downfall in staying down.
0: Things change fast. Uh, when you look at the SEC and, and stay in the conference – I don't think you can ever really expect programs like, say, Vanderbilt or Missouri to land top-end classes. So those schools are right where they typically are, which is 13th and 14th in in the conference in recruiting rankings. But the 12th-ranked class in the SEC, I can't lie, kind of surprises me. It's in Knoxville (laughs) Uh with Jeremy Pruitt in Tennessee. Tennessee is ranked 31st nationally, and this is not a situation where the numbers are low with commitments. So teams with more overall commitments – You know, and a lower quality of overall players are ahead of them. Their average star rating per player right now is 10th in the conference, behind Kentucky.
1: Well, we got to look at where the road traveled by Tennessee right now. So, you <laughs> yeah. know this this is still positive numbers for Tennessee fans this yeah. decade. So. Well,
0: Kentucky's average committed player is ranked higher than Tennessee, so they have twelve. Tennessee has twelve commitments. Six of those are outside of the top six hundred fifty players in the country. Now, let me ask you this: Jeremy Pruitt has always been labeled as one of the top recruiters in the nation, right? They hired Derek Ansley, who did a stellar job on the trail at Alabama. Jim Chaney's their offensive coordinator. You'd think that would hold at least a little bit of weight on the trail. T. Martin has been considered a top recruiter as a position coach. Tracy Rocker has traditionally been successful recruiting. On paper, this is a staff built to recruit. So, does this shock you as much as it does? I mean, clearly, I don't think it does, but to me, this is shocking.
1: Nah, not yet. Really? I mean... Yeah, I, I would say if this staff can kind of largely in part stay together for another year, that'd be different because mm-hmm. I think if they can gel and they can work, it'll 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 provide results. It's not like they're not still getting decent players for them compared to who they have been getting the last few years or missing out on. We'll see how they close, but, I mean, y- yeah, for Tennessee and, and that, those names, but, I mean, look what they're having to sell. Yeah. You want to go sell ice to Eskimos? Like, <laughs> I mean, because this is what they're dealing with. Yeah.
0: Uh... Uh, it is worth noting Tennessee finished strong in the 2019 cycle. Uh, they landed a five-star offensive tackle, top 75 athlete, a top 50 linebacker. I think you'll probably remember Henry we who we all thought was bound for Alabama. Uh, they pulled all three of those really close to signing day, so there's a lot of time for them to make up ground. But right now, this is not an impressive class.
1: No, no, not at all. I mean, uh, but again, I mean, we'll see how they close because I could definitely see it maybe being somewhat similar as last year. But we'll find out. Uh, we'll, we're just over here waiting for this LSU drop. So
0: Yeah, and that could happen, honestly. Uh, I think my surprisingly good class, there's, there was only one that stood out to me both nationally and in the SEC, is Kentucky, like I mentioned. Now, Kentucky right now has the 24th-ranked class in the country, their 10th in the SEC. That probably doesn't sound that great. It just kind of sounds okay, not really worth mentioning. But when you look closer, this class is better than both of those numbers. They have 14 commitments. Their average star rating per commitment is higher than six schools ahead of them. Georgia Tech, Iowa, South Carolina, Ole Miss, like I mentioned earlier, Mississippi State, North Carolina – are only ranked ahead of Kentucky because of the sheer numbers of commitments in those classes. They have more kids committed. And there's only one class ranked lower than Kentucky's with a higher average star rating. So it looks like Kentucky, they have a real chance to move up and even flirt with a top 15 to end the cycle. So to put this in perspective, their class is right on pace with both Washington and Penn State right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think Stu's been there for about six or seven years now, and it's been a long, long road he's traveled so far. And I mean, he's done a hell of a job. I mean, he's he's done to Kentucky what Dan Mullen did, you know, hmm. at Mississippi State. Yeah. And you know, last year was a, a for Kentucky especially. It was a it was a special year. You know, they finally snapped the streak against Florida. You know, they won double digit games, and they had that offense every week. So. <laughs> yeah. You know, Benny Snell was a beast, but my God, they were—they might as well have been a blue Georgia Tech. Like, um, so hopefully within this class they do have, you know, a little bit of firepower offensively because, you know, Snell's gone now too, but their defense will be good. I mean, he's doing a hell of a job selling the program. And, you know, regardless, Kentucky in football being tw- top 25, I mean, that's good.
0: This is also sad to say, sad to say, but I hope they stay the course because maybe it'll elevate the competition some in the East where basically it's a, it's a one team show right now.
1: Other than that, you're going to put your faith in Scientology, no pun intended with <laughs> Dan Mullen to hopefully get Florida. I mean, uh, get Florida to a Georgia type level, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. yeah I'm, not, I'm not banking on it.
0: But, look, once we get past those and, and look at the 2020 class overall for the elite programs kind of vying for those top spots, I think we already have a good idea on who will finish in the top five once the cycle ends. Uh, even in August, the recruiting process is sped up with the early signing period, so most of the teams are already up there and in place. The top five current classes are Clemson, Alabama, LSU, Ohio State, Georgia. Those five have created a pretty large gap between them and the rest of the nation in terms of uh, overall points and average star rating per commit. It's hard to see the next couple of teams, which are uh, Notre Dame, Michigan, Miami, it's hard to see them kind of moving up and cracking the top five. They'd have to make some unexpected noise late in the cycle or have a school, like you said, LSU, with some big out-of-state names committed, maybe have their class fall apart before signing day.
1: Yeah, look, I mean, there's still some kids within 60 miles of Tiger Stadium uh, that may be be not on campus next spring. I don't know. I wouldn't get my hopes up just yet.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, As of now, the only school outside of the top five with a chance to jump into it, to me, is Texas – Uh, You'll have to scroll down your screen for a second to find their class. They're 20th right now, but definitely a numbers game for them. They only have 11 commitments. All but three of those are in the top 250. They have the fourth highest average star rating in the country behind only Clemson, Alabama, Georgia. So just looking at what they have and what's still out there, it seems like sixth or seventh is probably their floor come signing day. It wouldn't surprise me at all to see them jump up to fourth or fifth.
1: I wouldn't even really focus too much on where they're at right now. Tom Herman's—he's uh, doing a hell of a job, and I mean, he's a—he's a great uh, recruiter, and he's able to relate to the players pretty well. And I think he's going to have a pretty, pretty damn good year. It's only going to help his case. So we'll see. Uh, they got a lot of talent that that they're—you know—Texas corrected their problem that USC has had. Yeah. So
0: Yeah. There's a lot of draw to Texas right now uh, on the recruiting trail. But finally, and we'll wrap this up, it seemed like a foregone conclusion that Clemson would finish with the top class in the country for a while now. We've brought that up a lot, uh, and that still may be the case. But Alabama's kind of right on their heels now.
1: We've already, uh, we've already started forcing uh, three and four stars out, you know. So, <laughs> hey, man, you got to make room for that new inventory.
0: Yeah, we, we do know that we'll see at least one more decommitment, too, presumably with uh, Javier Morton. And the projected DBs to replace him are ranked higher than him. But in order to finish higher than Clemson, we need a lot to fall into place. Nick Saban has to finish with some pretty big fish. And uh, I think what he'll have to do in, in order to pass Clemson is, one, flip Bryce Young from USC. Uh, Very likely. Yeah, it's looking more likely by the day. He's moving into five-star territory after every camp. I think the only thing that's keeping him out of five-star range is his height. He's around the size of Tua, I'd say. He's kind of right there on the cusp of like six foot. Um, Mm -hmm. But if he has a big showing during the All-American Games and practices, uh, it's likely he'll go from right outside the top 30 to inside of it. Uh, Alabama's thought to be the leader for the top running back in the country and top 10 players, Zach Evans. They would need to land him they're also in it for the top two tight ends in the country who are both top 15 players Eric Gilbert and Darnell Washington they have to land one of those two uh, they need to make all three of those things happen to have a shot
1: and I think we'll be hearing a familiar name sometime in the next month or two uh, you know with a commitment out of the Juco League so um, I'd keep a keep an air to the ground on that one Um so he kind of had to take the long road to maybe come back to Tuscaloosa so right. we'll see
0: now let's see if you if you subtract Javier Morton they're going to be down to 21 so that's five spots left it's going to be I, I don't know what they're going to do it's hard to know they're going to have to fit in a lot of good prospects into not a lot of spots
1: yeah, you know, this is a good problem to have. It's one basically they have almost every year except two years ago uh, when they, you know, absolutely got destroyed and finished, you know, the putrid six. Um, so yeah, you know, and look, you can't rule out either, you know, losing somebody leading up to. National signing day or early signing day in December uh, that you're counting on. I mean, history shows uh, these are kids. And we'll all of a sudden you could wake up one morning and check Instagram and there's a brand new Ford Raptor. I don't know. I'm just <laughs> saying like, uh, but yeah, uh, right now that's where we're at. Maybe come September, October, we might be a little bit different. And, you know, that's typically, you know, how that works for LSU anyways. So I look forward to that.
0: Yeah, now, now Clemson has commitments from both Brian Breezy and Miles Murphy, two of the top four players in the country, and they lead for Justin Flo and Jordan Burch in the crystal ball. Uh, those are the other two of the top four players in the country. So <laughs> there's a more than fair chance Clemson lands the top four players in the entire nation. And if they do that, everyone else is fighting for second. I don't care who Alabama lands.
1: Yeah, I mean they're they're going to end up having like damn 15% of the top 100. So, <laughs> you know, it's it's freaking they're going to have god what was I saw the stat after they eclipsed 20. Uh I had saw the stat. They had uh I think it was like 13 of the of their 20 was in the top 3 or 4 of their position groups. Like that, it's just it was yeah. ridiculous.
0: Man, he is recruiting at a an incredible rate right now. And with smaller smaller classes too, which is which makes it even crazier, is that it's not going to be the numbers game for him, where he takes twenty seven guys and then finishes first behind the number two class that took twenty three. Yeah, you know he's the class taking twenty three or twenty two and finishing ahead of the ones taking more than them.
1: Yeah. No matter whether he retires from there or not, they they better get started on building that statue.
0: Yeah, no doubt. All right. Well, this has been the Roll Bama Roll podcast. Rolls odd.